From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and, importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Goal Own Goal. Joining me is the human own goal himself, Roger Mitchell. <laughs> Hi, mate. How are you? Good, good, good. Did you enjoy the Jubilee? Um, no, I did. Well, I mean, I, I wasn't in England, so I think if you weren't in England, you don't really get to enjoy it properly. So I, I watched some of the coverage uh, in the press and stuff, but most of it seemed to be around Prince Andrew and Prince Harry. So I quickly, uh, I quickly <laughs> diverted my attention to matters more worthy of my time Rog frankly yeah I did I, yeah I have to say I did the one thing I read which I don't know I haven't confirmed it myself but I read that the whole thing cost a billion and a half pounds which um I mean it's a little tone deaf given the struggles many people are going through with you know the soaring energy prices and house prices and food prices and stuff it seems a little extravagant to spend one and a half million and I would one would imagine well that, it that, seemed to go down very well it seemed to be a little bit of a tonic no, 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 of course, of course, it's it's fantastic pomp and circumstance, and the Brits do that very well, well I have to say. Well, once I um, I had one of these uh, things with the royal family, and when I was at the SPL, um, and, you know, I, everybody gets the invite to the garden party, you know, but I, I once got this invite. Uh, did I tell you this ever from Prince, you, you didn't, Prince I, Charles? I didn't get an invite to the garden party, so when you say everyone does, well, what, I mean, like, what, what well, I, like, I get two about the same time, and I had this chairman, a um, guy called Likes Gold, CBE, who who was a big thing in the White uh, White Hall. He was a civil servant. And uh, I said, I've got these two things, uh, Lex, what should I do with them? He says, well, the garden party one, you can take it or leave it. Everybody and their dog goes to that. I said, He said, but the other one, the invite to... Um, Holyrood uh, private dinner with Prince Charles. You should take that up. So I, I, I tootled along to um, Holyrood that summer with uh, with my wife, and uh, it, it's just a. It really gives you an eye opening about how the whole what they call the firm how it works. You know, so we're in uh, Holy Holyrood Palace. Uh, I was uh, two two or three other couples, and this guy comes up to me, Grant. You know, like from nowhere, like literally like Mr. Ben comes up from like nowhere and he says, um, could I ask you what you do speaking to me? And I said, um, you know, I'm like, I said, who are you, mate? <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, like, and, and, and the bottom line was he, he, he is the, I don't know what you call it, but Prince Charles's guy. Equary. You know, like his PA, EA. And, and he explained that to me in this really posh English. And he said, um, well, what, what is it you call him? His Majesty. Uh, or, his Royal Highness. Uh, his Royal Highness, whatever the, the term is. His Royal Highness will come out of the door behind you, sir. You're the closest to that door as we stand. So he will come over to you and make small talk. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm here to, so that he knows what to ask you about. <laughs> Please tell me he didn't come out and say, one is a Rangers fan. So so anyway, that happened, and I have to say, I have to say, super skilled in small talk, uh, oh, yeah. Charlie is, and um, you know also the the thing that really struck me was how good he was at like kind of moving on to the next person. You know, sometimes that can be quite awkward. It was as smooth as silk, yeah, smooth as silk. So uh, 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 we go in and we have dinner, and and there was about thirty of us, and, and you know, politicians. Uh, Quite a lot of important people. I don't know why we were invited at all. I mean, football's not in that kind of that thing. As, as Delvoy said, Rog, the creme de la month of Scottish society. Yes, yes, yes. So I was down there and, and you know, I'm quite friendly with people and there was this some head of the Liberal Democrats in Scotland. I can't remember his name now. And when you're, you know, as, as you're away, it's like any other dinner party. You exchange stories, it goes well, everything like that. And and we're getting to, I think it was the sweet Um and all of a sudden, everybody stops and stands up. And, you know, like, I'm not used to that. And, like, what's happened is that Charlie has stopped and is leaving the table 
So the meal is over. The meal for everybody. Okay. It's over, and and we all left. As did you get did. a doggy bag? <laughs> no doggy bag, nothing. It was like, but I mean, goes as smooth as silk. These things are like like a Swiss watch. Uh, so I quite enjoyed the Jubilee thing, and I enjoyed Paddington Bear. You saw that, obviously. I did see that. Yeah, it was that yeah, was delightful. Yeah, it was look. I, I, the, the Queen's. I, I'm a huge fan of the Queen. I, I met Charlie once at uh, when I when I was working in the city, uh, and and as a what would I have been. A ten-year-old, I was in at the Queen's Silver Jubilee pageant in London, right in the right in the front row. So that was I got an up close visit with the Queen, which was nice. But um, I was only as a ten-year-old. Right? So I never I never got invited to, into their house for tea. <laughs> <laughs> One of the great experiences, I must admit. But anyway, what have you got for me uh, for goal? Oof, goal? Mate. Well, listen, I think we both know what we're going to spend most of today talking about. So let's let's park that for a minute. Okay, let's park um, that. Let's park that for a minute. Uh, let's talk about something that's gone actually under the radar, I'm surprised, and I'm really curious to get your take on this because um, you've had dealings with these guys, not these guys individually, but the organisation for, for many, many years, and that is the long-awaited trial of Sepp Blatter and Michel Platini on these fraud charges. And uh, the, the, the first day of the trial, after seven years, Blatter is too ill to testify so he comes back again the next day. But finally, we're seeing these two guys in court. You know, the, the charge is this uh, illegal, supposedly $2 million payment that was made yeah. to, to uh, Platini. Platini by Blatter based on a verbal agreement between the two men. You know, I, I, I don't know, Rog, I, I, I was so ridiculously happy when Blatter got his collar felt seven years ago. It's all gone very, very quiet since then. I, I, I suspect... This will be a show trial with a suspended sentence and slaps on the wrist, and everyone goes home quietly. But, 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 what do you what do you make of this? What, what is there any chance that real justice is done here, um, or, or is this just uh, they'll make it all go away now? It's been seven years. It's kind of, and I've been amazed at how little coverage I've seen. I've had to go li- digging for coverage of this thing. Uh, this is this is relatively new news for me. Ah, okay. um, I haven't seen that. Uh, you may have heard when we had Andrew Croker on. I asked him the question about Jerome Valk. Um, Jerome Valk was Blatter's right-hand man. Yeah, so another fine, upstanding member of the football community. <laughs> you know, and, and Andrew's answer, which I tend to agree with, and maybe it's just a getting older Catholic thing as well about forgiveness. If you're in these organisations, and that's the question, are you going to accept being in them or not? But if you accept being in these organisations you're going to spend most of your career holding your nose. You, you just are, Grant. You know, it's 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 a little bit, you know, like maybe working in the, in, in the big investment banks and everything like that. You, you almost need to check out your, not maybe your moral compass, but your your absolutism and your morality. At the, you know that phrase I always like, half-pregnant morality? Um, mm, yeah. You know, Blatter and Platini and... You know, at the same time, if you remember, uh, Platini went down for that. Then, you know, Gianni Infantino, who was Platini's bag man at UEFA, um, mm-hmm. stood up uh, with impeccable timing and got and got the big job um, to um, be elected for FIFA as the UEFA candidate that was going to be Platini. So, um, no, Grant, I don't think I've got a lot of expectations uh, these are members, uh, organisations where to get anything done, you need people's votes. And to get people's votes, even if you are a relatively straight guy, most of those members will tell you what they need to secure their vote. And that's what I mean. You have to say, well, I think I can lead football forward. I think I can be the person to bring it to and the force for good that it should be. Can't do anything if I don't have the votes. That guy over there wants um, a brown envelope to get his vote. What do I do? Here's an idea, Rog. Expose him. You need to expose them all. I'll tell you the story of a guy um, that was in the SFA. Uh, he was the president of the SFA, John Macbeth 
who got elected as vice president. Uh, Rog, 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 sorry. We refer to him as John the Scottish Play. <laughs> That's very cute, yeah. Um, he, he got elected because Britain still has got certain privileges within FIFA in terms of vice president role, I think. that We always get one of them, the, the home nations. Uh, he got elected as vice president and uh, in one of his first press conferences basically said what you're suggesting, calling them out. He was completely slaughtered by what many people like to call as the football family for racism because he, he talked about certain attitudes in other parts in the world aren't what we are comfortable with in blah, blah, blah. And, and he was he, they played the race card. You know, so I wasn't a big fan of John Macbeth. He was at the, the Federation, I was at the league, so we were natural enemies. So I'm not holding a candle for him, but he didn't deserve that. And he just wasn't able or, 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 or talented enough to play the political game that you need to play there. So it is part of the, the, the nature of things, Grant. Well, look, sadly, it's part of the nature of things in so many walks of life these days, Roger. And, and you know, we've talked about this bigger picture many, many yeah, times, yeah. you and I, in, this, in these conversations. And I'm interested in this FIFA thing because I think that tide is turning. I think the tide is turning where the people who, who pay these guys wages won't actually stand by for too much longer and allow these people to get away with it. So I think this is actually a bellwether case to see if they do throw the book at these guys because, you know, at some point it becomes more politically expedient to start punishing these guys so that the people see that you're actually doing something because the people are angry because, you know, it's costing way too much money. They can't afford to take their kids to football anymore and now there's all these big fat cats getting paid multi-million dollar handouts and, and public opinion does turn. And, and, yeah, and I know you, you, I know you feel, feel that, Grant. Sad, sadly, I, I, I can't agree with you on that. I, I think when you get into these ivory towers and I've seen them up close, you lose a connection with people and you really don't care. They have all got the, the statement, oh, we'll just get our tin helmet on and it will no, no, pass. I, I don't mean them. I don't mean them. I mean the judges. I mean the, the mood of public opinion is swinging towards, you know, people need to be punished because we're angry and um, I, I don't know, Roger, there, there, is a, there is a shift in mood in the public and the people who were once held up to be lightning rods who were held up to be above the law there comes a time when that pendulum swings. And I don't know if we're there yet. My Elon Musk fixation is well documented in these in these conversations. But yeah. he's a perfect case in point. Look how the narrative around him has changed. Look how many negative articles you're reading about him yeah. all of a sudden. Look how many regulators are suddenly feeling like they kind of need to do something about autopilot and stuff. It, it, that's, a, that's a mood thing. And I, I, I sense that it's changing. But hey, we'll see. We'll see. Well, talking about and this probably doesn't come across well, you talk about people getting angry. I don't have a high respect for, air quotes, people. Certainly football fans, you know that. You know, every single day mm -hmm. I could throw examples of you that they are not people that should be judging anybody based on what they do. So I wouldn't hold my breath if you think football fans are going to pull down FIFA. Um, ultimately, this will come from only one person, i.e. the person that pays the money, the broadcaster or the sponsors or a Super League, uh, all money driven. We'll come back to Super League in a minute. But whilst we're still on the topic of football, what's your view of Michael Owen, Grant, as a pundit and everything like that? How have you seen him in recent years? Well, I, I try not to, <laughs> to be honest. I, I mean, I, honestly, Roger, it baffles me how he's still a pundit because I've, I've never seen him offer me any insight. I've never seen him offer anything but, you know, simple platitudes and very basic analysis. It just, you know, when you, when you, you put him against uh, Gary Neville and you just wonder what's going on, the two completely different levels of analysis. And well, you know, is... I, I agree with that. I, I think in personal branding terms, Michael Owen is a mile off where he should be. Um, you could almost think that he's close to some kind of like... Alan Partridge type figure. He comes across <laughs> right. as as off the pace, you know. And um, I've got an example which you will hate, but you know I love this stuff. You're not going to keep me away from this. His daughter went on to Love Island. Are you aware of this? Oh God, no, no. Well, neither was he. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, you know, um, she, she, her name is Gemma. Uh, she's got her own swimwear business where, you know, she she models like Michelle Moan. She, she's in bikinis on Instagram. She's doing her own thing. So, you know, she's not the Virgin Mary, let's put it that way. So she announces that she's going on to Love Island and this week has all been <laughs> Michael Owen's surprise about what it would involve. I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to read you a little incident because it takes in <laughs> what I was saying a little bit earlier about Bolton football fans. So I'm reading this, and, and, and here, you know, I, I don't like the media very much, but when they get on a tabloid ease story, you know, like when they write in tabloid, it is magnificent. Yeah. Michael Owen has blasted an under-18 women's football coach who tweeted that he couldn't wait to see Michael's daughter Gemma getting, quotes, smashed, <laughs> on Love Island. The former footballer, Owen, 42, whose 19-year-old child is currently competing in the ITV2 reality show, had previously said the predicament is his worst nightmare. And now Paul Proud, this is the coach, of Glasgow City FC, has resigned from his position at the club. No shit, Sherlock. No, he's coaching girls and is waiting for her to get smashed. <laughs> has deleted his Twitter account following the backlash. Right, so it's Michael Owen and that kind of like really off 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 the pace persona he's got, um uh, who really struggling with his daughter. You know, and I'm gonna read you this bit here, which is just really funny because they don't stop there, do they? You know, these people funny that. They, they they get they get you on the show and uh, she then was presented with her ex-boyfriend as a guest participant, Davide Sanchilimento. <laughs> Italian stallion, <laughs> eight years her senior, quotes from Michael. It's not something any father wants to watch, is it? <laughs> God, I know you don't like this oh, stuff, but geez. man, but man, it is just compelling. It's, uh, you know, like he's been involved in the NF NFT stuff, right. the things that he promoted to zero, his daughter appears. <laughs> And there's the coach yeah, I, from Glasgow City FC <laughs> teaching young girl footballers. They can't wait to see her get smashed. <laughs> Something for everybody in this story, Rog. I have. You've to got say, to forgive um, me on this stuff. This is what, is what no, makes no, the I, tragedy of our world bearable no, for hear, me. I, no, I, I, I can just imagine. You know, as you say, this, this, this image of him being off the pace is absolutely perfect because you can just imagine. His daughter saying to him, "Oh, I'm going on Love Island. Oh, that sounds nice, dear. You know, if he's never watched it, Love Island. Oh, that sounds really nice, lovely, smashing. Can't wait to see it. Wait, you're going to do what? <laughs> and of course, all, all all the memes. I won't I won't bore you anymore because I know you don't really like this, but that that's something I wanted to link to. What is really my goal this week? Excuse me. Which, um, in the same theme of loving the absurdity of of life is the return of Silvio Berlusconi, who you will know well. Oh, yes. I, I had a feeling his name would come up from you this week. I'm delighted to hear it, Roger. Right, well, I mean, uh, pe people, maybe younger viewers don't know, but Silvio Berlusconi had a major, major part together with Rupert Murdoch in, in, in defining what is the football industry today. And indeed, the content industry, the popular culture industry... He just happened to also become prime minister of the country at the same time, um, but that's not that's not really a problem. So he uh, sold AC Milan um, maybe what eight eight years ago, yeah, um, and got out him, because yeah. it was just the moment had passed and he couldn't afford it anymore. It was getting a really big big ticket game, and he's he bought his local team Monza, who are a small team, um, never been in Serie A, and he took them this year to Serie A which um, is magnificent because, you know, anybody that knows Silvio's um, history in football, it's just full of golden moments of absurdity and, and um, you know, box office. Anybody that remembers when he went into the, the dressing room of Pippo Inzaghi, who was the manager of Milan for a small time and gave him a coaching class about how to talk to the players, Attack, attack, attack was the coaching batch. <laughs> and poor people in Zaggy had to repeat this to the players the way Uncle Silvio had told them to. But anyway, you know, the thing about Silvio is that 
It's color, isn't it? We we badly need color these days. And I want to share with you another little story that I, I remember from well, 20 years ago now, maybe a wee bit more. I, I got quite friendly with one of Silvio's major aides. You know, the guy that you saw close to him when he was speaking with Putin and Merkel and everything like that. More than right. a translator, but something like that. And, you know, there was three of us. We got quite close to the three of us. And I'm telling you, Grant, you, you'll know this to be true because you're in this world. The stories you heard would melt the pain off a battleship. They would melt oh, yeah. the pain off yeah. a battleship. The, what was, I mean, like, I'm not going to tell any of them, I don't think, because I don't want to take a jump off a high building because, I mean, it's... it's but one I will tell that is a little bit petty, and, and, and of course, with the allegedly thing. You know that um, Silvio had a penchant for uh, younger younger females. Um, well, we're not coming back to Michael Owen's daughter well, here. No, she's, not, she's now 19. She's okay. But the okay. famous Ruby Heartbreaker was 15 at the time that she apparently met the acquaintance of Silvio. And th- th- this amazing story, you think about it, she then was caught uh, on nothing to do with her activities as an escort uh, and taken into the police station. She makes a call to the un- Uncle Silvio, who um, gets things <laughs> moving. And, and this is the kaputs of this um, grant. You may remember this because it was quite... It was quite he, he says to the police, the head of the police station, you need to let her go. She's the granddaughter of Mubarak. You remember that? No, I don't remember this at all. Well, th- this is one of the great things of, of Silvio. He he basically said, well, again, if you think about it, it's incredibly racist. You know, she's Moroccan, right? And Mubarak yeah. at the time was the president of, of Egypt. Egypt, yeah. But close enough for him. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, um, uh, and he said to the police guy... Um, let her out because she's the granddaughter of the president of Egypt, which is a total lie. Right. You know, right. and and like um, he then sent this other woman, Nicola Minetti, her name was, who was his dental hygienist, who he promoted <laughs> okay. to the head of the Lombardy region. Uh, she too had an interesting uh, background and uh, it was okay the way she looked as well, if you know what I mean. So, Silvio's back and I think that's a positive for Serie A that badly needs to catch up the gap with the Premiership. That's well, my goal. I, I, no, I know where you're coming from with that because he is, he, he's he's kind of gone past absurdity yes. and back into kind of entertainment value again now because you realise that it's just a complete circus around him. Everything around him is a circus. His, even the way he looks, Rog, with the, you know, the ridiculous Trump tan and the, and the, <laughs> and the, and the 50 uh, facelifts and God knows how, and counting. As as one of my friends said to me, one more facelift and I'll have a goatee. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think at this point, it's just pure circus. And and God knows we needed distraction. Well, you know, because, you know uh, that he, he had um, in his day, at the peak of the Boonga Boonga stuff, he had basically a harem that he... Um, yeah, yeah that he housed in a, in a particular villa and they were called the Olgetini. That was the name of the villa. Um, now, the story I heard, again, allegedly, and I believe this to be true, I may be wrong, is that all of these young ladies were given a mini as a gift for their favours. That's fair enough, okay? The funny bit, the very funny bit, Grant, is that the model and the options package depended on what particular favors they were um, they had offered. So, uh, if one went around uh, the Milan area and saw a, a young lady, specifically a good-looking young lady, in a Mini Cooper S, you, you could have a fair idea where she did or didn't draw the line. <laughs> Oh, Rog, you know what? I'll tell you what, it brings a whole new meaning to the word, the Italian job. <laughs> Man, you've got to laugh. Around, you've got to uh, laugh. Yeah, you've got to laugh. Oh, boy. Well, listen, I, let's, let's stay on football for one more quick thing, which I, I found um, interesting this week. Have you seen this thing with uh, Ecuador and Chile? Well, and one this, of them this, might uh, get into Ecuadorian defender like Byron Castillo. Well, the, the, 
the um, Ecuadorian defender Brian, Byron Castillo played in eight qualifying games to get into the World Cup um, for Ecuador and Chile uh, have uh, alleged that he's an ineligible player. Yeah, I read that. And they've said that they, they had all the paperwork to prove that he was actually not Ecuadorian. <laughs> and so they've, you know, they've, they've sent in all the documents. And, You're worried and about Seb Blatter. <laughs> I know, right? And, F- and FIFA, FIFA statement was great. It said, after analysing the submissions of all parties concerned, considering all elements brought before it, the disciplinary committee has decided to close the proceedings uh, initiated against the Ecuadorian Soccer Federation. So, so, something weird is going on here, right? Because you've got, Documents proving the guy's not Ecuadorian, and you submit them, and FIFA decide to close the case without agreeing with it. So either the documents are forged, or it's too hard for FIFA. I mean, th- this, or they, this is just or they classic need to FIFA, vote for something right? else. Like I said, at or, the start or they of the show. need to vote for something else. I mean, you would think there is this. This would be a pretty simple thing to prove. <laughs> open and shut. One would imagine. <laughs> Right, you would think it would be an open and shut case. So, so either Chile were trying to pull a fast one, and they've come up with, you know, a, a, a brith certificate, for example. <laughs> this is the guy's brith certificate, and uh, someone misspelled it before they printed it out off their home HP. Or FIFA just don't want the aggravation. Now it's going to appeal, um, and uh, it could take several months for the appeal to be heard. So, yeah, we could actually see one of the teams in Qatar getting kicked out and replaced. You know, within a few weeks of the tournament, so this is this is one to watch. But I, I just found this whole thing just so classically FIFA. Oh, for sure, for sure. So it's, it, the quicker people understand that this is the worst kind of Capitol Hill politics, horse trading, and pork. The this the easier you put your mind and soul at peace with FIFA and football, Grant. It's it is what it is. You know, there's no meritocracy or doing the right thing. It's like, how many votes do I need? And there's somebody with the votes, yes, no, undecideds. And that's what you do. Mm, You you always hope that there's, you know, there's going to be the goodness and the justice and the fairness. It's just politics, man. I'm telling you, mate, you read the fourth turning. In fact, I'm pretty sure you have read the fourth turning. I have, I have, yeah. At some point, this all turns around. You wait. You wait. But not before the AI has killed us all in, like, Skynet. <laughs> Jesus, man, I read that yesterday. I mean, did you see the conversation that the, the, the Google guy had with the, the AI? Did you see that story, no. Grant? No, I haven't seen that yet. So this Google engineer has uh, had to resign or go on leave because he called out this conversation he's having with the machine, which is like, I, I would say it's university-level philosophy discussion. Do you believe you exist? Do you believe in the happiness? And the computer's answering, yes, I do feel I exist. I want to be happy. I, <laughs> I'm telling you, this is Skynet. They are Roger, already there, It wasn't a man in a tin suit, was it? Eh? Was it a man in a tin suit? <laughs> did he look like the tin man from The Wizard of Oz? Yeah. He did? Okay. No, it was um, it was it was um, an amazing thing, and 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 you, know, you just think about it. All of the stuff you're talking about, the fourth turning, I think um, they'll 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 be Terminator One before any of that happens, man. Anything? Well, they better hurry up because we're in the middle of it now. Well, listen, um, have you got anything else before we get to you know what? I've got something which um, I find quite interesting. You know, you see the deaths in the TT racing. Yes, unbelievable this year. Well, 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 I mean, okay, maybe it's just, you know, this is a bad year, but honestly, when you think about it, this is inevitable. You see them going around that that circuit, and if you've ever been in the Isle of Man and and you see what they're doing, it's, it's, it's madness. So my only question to you, Grant, is should we allow people who are basically only risking themselves to kill themselves if they so want to do, or does the state, the sport, whatever it is, have an obligation to save these people from themselves? You know, I, I think it's such a great conversation, Rog. I, I really do, because the, the the libertarian in me says, absolutely not, if they want to ride bikes like lunatics, as long as they don't endanger anybody else, um, have at it. Did you see Closer to the Edge, the documentary about Guy Martin? No. Uh, okay, you need to watch this. It was. It's probably must be ten years ago, eleven, twelve years ago. 
and he he became a big star. He he became like a a, a reality TV host, and it, because he's such a likable guy. But the documentary about the Isle of Man TT race is is breathtaking. It really is. And and you you know, I, obviously I've known about the Isle of Man TT. I've never I've never been to the Isle of Man. Um, I was These are tight roads, of, Grant. These are tight roads. Oh, it, Rog, well, you, you see this this documentary. It, it, it is breathtaking. It's yeah. an absolute thrill ride, and and I, I can't urge you enough to watch it. You will you'll be blown away by it. I'll look it up. But you realised watching that just how deadly this thing is. Um, and look, for me, I, I I don't know how you ensure that nobody else gets hurt. I don't know how you can ensure that, and that's the problem in this day and age. But for me, I think if these guys want to race these motorbikes, um, who am I to say they can't, yeah. frankly? Yeah, I, 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 I tend to agree with you, Grant. I must admit, I'm a, I too am a libertarian. But, you know, you, you do think, lads, what are you thinking? <laughs> you know, like, this is going to end badly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, that, but that's... You, you, Rog, go back to the early days of Formula One, right? It was it was a very Same similar thing. thing. I mean, there, there, were, there were plenty of deaths in Formula One. It was... Men who wanted to live on the edge and, you know, live, fly by the seat of their pants and do crazy things. That's 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 the story of mankind, essentially, yeah. right? Anyway, mate, let's let, let me let's go on to that the golf thing and and, and you start yeah. right because people right. people want to hear you on this. They know my stick. I'm not sure they do. I think they, they, I think everyone's got their opinions about. It. Look, I, I, the live golf thing, obviously, for those of not sure what we're talking about, the live golf. Tour? What do we call it? Live Golf Circus. Let's call it a circus. I think that's a more appropriate word. The Live Golf Circus uh, put up its tent finally this week at the Centurion Club, which is just outside London in the UK, and they had a 48-man field, including a few household names. You know, Mickelson showed up, obviously. Dustin Johnson showed up. Charles Schwartzel, Kevin Nahr. There's a few names who are, who are you know, reasonable household names there, plus a bunch of people no one's ever heard of. You know, massive prize money, you know, a new format, and this is the big challenge to golf. And we'll come back to the PGA Tour, which had the Canadian Open up against it, which I'm sure Live Golf are rubbing the hands thinking, huh, this, this meaningless tournament. And so, you know, obviously I watched it with interest. I watched what they did. And for, and for me, this Live Golf brings together so many of the things that we've talked about and so many of the things that you've talked about over the years of, the, of these conversations in terms of how to, you know, freshen up, a stale format and how to get the attention of Gen Z and, you know, how to move the game forward, et cetera, et cetera. And I watched a bit of the coverage of the Live Golf and I'm left bewildered. And I'm, and I'm hoping you're going to pull me apart with this and tell me how I'm an idiot and how this is, this is the future because I'm curious to see it. Here's what I saw. I saw commentators who within the first minute were grating on my very last nerve trying to make everything exciting and trying to talk everything up and you know be all showy and oh my god this is just the greatest golf ever I saw a course that isn't familiar just looks like a random golf course it didn't look particularly special to me I saw sparse crowds who seemed a bit confused I saw a very YouTube-esque, like, scoring system, um, you know, having the, the the list of where all the players are and shot after shot, and, you know, I know they're trying to show more shots per hour than they do on the PGA Tour Golf. Uh, I saw a lot of focus on the team aspect of this thing, which to me is utter nonsense. But more than anything else, Rog, the one thing that caught me, Rog, and that was I, I, I saw Mickelson hit a shot out of the rough into the green, and there was a, you know, bit of sparse applause and then the camera cut back to Mickelson walking up the fairway taking his glove off walking up the fairway towards his ball and the look on his face and the general demeanor of the shot was utterly meaningless there, there was nothing there was no emotion there was no yep. nothing just looked like his, his, he was dead inside you know and you realize that these guys are playing for money. You know, Phil Mickelson has been given, yeah. if, if you listen to what the press say, $200 million up front to play in this golf tournament. And if he won it, he would pocket another four. And if he came last, he would pocket another 120 grand, right? 
it's meaningless. The trophy means nothing. The tournament means nothing. Uh, the team event is an absolute joke. The stingers and the niblicks. I mean, it's, I, I, I went back to the, the office and Ricky Gervais's <laughs> Trivial Pursuit team, you know, Stephen Hawking's football boots. I, I, I was wondering why no one came up with like a proper Trivial Pursuit team name, Rog, instead of the niblicks and the stingers. Yeah. It was just, it was just, it was like, you know, a, a bunch of 40-year-olds on a golf trip, you know. Oh, we're, we're going to all have matching T-shirts and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. It was utterly soulless. And then you look at the Canadian Open, and whilst I suspect, as I said, the Live Golf were rubbing their hands that that was the tournament they were up against because it's not even in the US and it's, you know, who cares about the Canadian Open. This tournament goes back to 1903, right? It's a national open. It's had every big name in the, in the history of golf is on that trophy. And we get treated to a final round where the last group of Justin Thomas, Rory McIlroy and Tony Finau put on an absolute clinic of everything that tournament golf is all about. Um, you had Justin Rose flirting with shooting 60 on the same day, on the same yeah. course. You had, you know, young guys, this um, Wyndham Clark holding his own, getting in the mix. It was everything that golf is about, and it, and it meant something. This was playing for a 103-year-old trophy. No one knows how much the winner gets paid. It's, I mean, you could find it out easily, but it's not... The talk around the Canadian Open isn't about how much money the winner gets paid. And for me, Rog, yesterday was, or this last weekend, was a massive indictment that Live Golf is just all sound and fury and signifies absolutely nothing. And I think people will get very bored with it very quickly. Now, I can see how I can be wrong about this. I absolutely can. They, they get more people coming in. I think if they go after the youngsters, the young college hotshots coming out and start throwing a lot of money at them to come and play then they kind of secure their future. Maybe they can wind down the kind of money. But at the moment, this is all about money and there's a there's a stench to it, Rog, that I don't think any amount of fancy graphics is going to wash away. I don't disagree with anything like that. Uh, what what I would like to to try and, 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 and make the point of here is, and this is the same with the Super League, people are celebrating um, disasters in the, the who and the yeah, how yeah. of yeah. trying to innovate here with the why. And, and what, what do I mean by that? Live Golf is a disaster, Grant. You know, if you saw that little video about come and enjoy yourself here, it, it looked like Centre Parks. It looked yeah, yeah. really, <laughs> right. really crap, you know? So, so I'm not going to defend them. I just think it's got the wrong leadership, the, the wrong way of going about it. Um, and as you say... There's a stench. The same with the Super League. You had the wrong people. You had Agnelli. You had um, Florentino Perez talking about, we've no money. We need to get more money. Again, just an absolute disaster. But let's, if you agree, Grant, let's focus on the why. What's happening here? And I would suggest this is what's happening and this is what's not going to go away. I would suggest that new audiences or even existing audiences don't have as much tolerance anymore for what I call journeyman sport and journeyman athletes. There is a move towards the big names. And when you say the Canadian Open was great, it's because that last group was full of big names. Simple as that. You put three other golfers that aren't well known shooting the way they did, it's not the same. So that's the first thing of the why. Part two of the why is an economics answer grant that you will get. Um, leagues or unions in this case that sell their rights centrally are by definition in a situation where the talent, the box office is subsidising the, the journeyman. That's the way it is. And some things like the English Premier League it's de facto the way it is because they'd say it's the way to create a competitive league. But we live in a world in economic terms, Grant, where there is every space for arbitrage. Put any number you want on it. For the rights that the PGA Tour sells to broadcasters and sponsors, the top 10 guys get less than their economic value is worth. So you will always have somebody that comes in to do the arbitrage play. Yep. 
Right, so, so you're with me so far, yeah? That's where we are. The last point, which is the one that I think is disappointing, is that the existing leaders of sport in the main, rather than embracing change and managing it with EQ, just stick their, their, their heels in. I mean, I heard Jay Monaghan yesterday use phrases like betraying America and sympathy yeah. for the 9-11 families. Now, that's a resignation issue for me. I mean, like, if that is your best card, mate, if he just heard what you've said five minutes ago and, and that spiel of yours, that's all he had to say. But you're betraying America. It's playing into that whole populist thing. He's not yeah, up to yeah. it from my point of view. At the same time, we've had on this podcast Keith Pelley, who I said on that podcast sounded significantly up to speed and ready for these changes. So these are the three reasons of the why. The existing guys running sport are probably not on the pace. There's the arbitrage play about them deserving more than they get, which somebody's always going to have a go at. And the third yep. one is we've got less tolerance for the, the journeyman. In our generation, we had more tolerance for. Now everybody wants to see the stars. That's the same in the music industry. Anything like that. So that's what I think people should focus on in golf and football and every sport, the why, not the who, in this case, live, and not the how, which is what you described was a completely dreadful uh, tournament in a meaningless, soulless court. More than that, I would say specifically with golf, as for the reason you've said, these are individuals that are in a union. They are in a union. They're not employees of a football club. So for anybody in a union to all of a sudden take money from somebody to clearly the detriment of the people they're leaving behind. I don't think that's the best of British, if I can use that old phrase. I don't think that's right. And it's doubly wrong when the person you're taking money from has got no business plan to show that they can make this a sustainable business so there's a little bit of, I'm going to take the money whilst it's there. It probably won't be there tomorrow because they can't make it work financially. And I don't care about the guys I've left behind. That's not being part of a union, not, not the way you would describe it in an Alex Ferguson governed shipyard kind of way, if, if all that makes sense. Yeah, no, it, it does. And look, I realise that this is the thin end of some sort of wedge, right? I, I totally understand that. But I, as I watched it at the weekend, you realise that the PGA Tour actually have an awful lot more strength in this. They just have to, to your point, manage it better and and come to the negotiating table and give up something to the players to rectify that imbalance. Because I, I don't think they have to pay them live money. The players will want to play on the PGA Tour for a lot less than live want to pay them because they do get a chance to write their names in the history book. They do, they do get a, a, a chance to be something in a game means something, you know, where individual achievement means something and echoes down across centuries rather than decades, Rog. I get, um, I get that, Grant, but but let's let's look what the PGA has done in recent years. Well, not even recent years, recent decades, and, and, and our groundsman colleague, Giles Morgan, would confirm this. Appearance money was introduced a long, long time ago to, yep. to basically address my arbitrage point, Yeah. You know, so yeah, that's sure, already sure. been put on the table. Recent years has seen the impact fund nonsense, um, which isn't working either. So I don't Rush, think it's Rush, a little... that, 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 Let's talk about the impact fund for a second there before we get off on a tangent, because you're right that that, that was a ham-fisted way of addressing a lot of your concerns, right? How do we throw more money at the players? How do we make them relevant to the Gen Z age and give them a chance to vote in the community and all that kind of stuff, right? That's how that was done. That needs tweaking. There's no two ways about it. That didn't work and it, and it, it was a bit of a joke, you know, and, and God bless Tiger for winning it, but yeah. it, it, it clearly didn't work. It was mentioned, but they can tweak that. They can work out how to compromise with, with the players and I suspect, they, I suspect they'll be forced to. I don't think they want to, Rog, but I think they'll be forced to because they will see all the points you just made and realise that they're completely valid. And someone is coming for that arbitrage no matter what. But they are in an incredibly strong position 
like this, this is not an arbitrage that's purely based on numbers and the highest number wins. That's the beauty of this for the PGA Tour. There, there, are, there are intangibles here that put them in an incredibly strong negotiating position that means they don't have to give well, away yeah, the same gr- kind of money. Gr- Grant, but yeah, let, let's, let's now, you know, wind it forward about what happens next. You know, what is really important, that tradition card you talked about and you articulated it really well, that comes down in the main to the four majors, in the main. So... What I would say is the challenge for golf, and it's exactly going to be the same for tennis, is this. These four majors, as I've been learning this week, are not really controlled by the PGA. They're their own thing. They're either invitationals or their qualification criteria are based on things that they decide themselves. So for the tradition card that you're putting a lot of weight on, a smart new challenger golf brand would go and do a deal with the four majors. And that then leaves the PGA to say, well, what am I competing with now? And then the PGA would have to come back to my first point about the why, which is, can we still be an organization for the journeyman pro? You know, can we? Can English football still be the body for 92 clubs when only 10 of them generate all the value and nobody really wants to see the other 82 apart from their own communities? This question isn't been grasped by Sport Grant. What is the role, and and I'm just using them because it's the only one I know, what is the role for Eddie Pepperell in this entertainment world of golf content going forward? Because as I say... You can have any tournament in the world now, but if the big names are at the top of the leaderboard, you're not going to have the the audiences that are not of our generation. The young ones aren't going to stay. I don't know how you answer that. What's the future there? Well, but Roger, look, I hear your point, but don't forget there was a decade when Tiger Woods was the only name in town, right? And viewing figures went through the roof if he was in contention on Sunday, which he invariably was. He doesn't play the tour anymore, and, and it's it's unlikely that he'll play many events going forward. But there's a wave of new talent coming through in the PGA Tour who are going to be around for a decade, maybe two. And they're a remarkable blend of everything you'd want, right? If you if you look at Rory and JT... Yeah, and but there's 20 of them. There's two dozen of them, Grant. If I, yeah. this, is, this is my point. If I live golf did it properly and got on board the right traditional people that said the right things and they had a whole strategy for, you know, feeding into fostering the game and getting youngsters golfing lessons and doing it all properly, you would go for 24, 36 tops of these golfers. You would go and do a deal with the majors way up front. You would have clean money behind you. You would have the right comms. And for the journeyman golf professional, it's over, Grant. It's over. No, no, Roger, I agree with what you're saying, but let's think that through, right? You, yeah. you do a deal with the majors, okay, not necessarily that easy. Not that easy, but doable because they're, they're, they want the best about, players. They're not stupid themselves. They, no, 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 of course they do. Of course they do. But that, that tradition angle for the majors... I, I don't think, with the possible exception of the PGA, I don't think the majors are for sale. I don't think the Open Championship gives a toss about money. I know the Masters doesn't give a toss about money. They've got more money than they could ever spend, right, from that tournament. So, no, I, I, and, I, and the US Open, the same. I don't think the US Open was for sale. So I think those three of the four majors are untouchable. And I realise nothing is untouchable, but, but, but they're you're as close just assuming to that, as you can that you get, would Roger. go to them with money. That's not how you would go to them. You would say something along the lines of this, uh, Mr. Monaghan, um, do you remember a Wimbledon tournament in the 70s when the players went on strike and Jan Kodesh won it and none of the big names were there? That, um, Mr. Monaghan, is your future unless you do a deal with me and my 36 stars. That's what you would do. It's nothing to do with money. Possibly, Rog. Possibly. We'll see. And look, it's it's funny, right? Because um, you talk about the 70s there, and I do remember that tournament. And, and you know, this is part of a much broader theme about a return to the 70s right? <laughs> with, with high inflation and, and industrial action Lovely. and all these things. That, that's where we are, right? This is, a, this is a moment in time where we are repeating a cycle that's gone before us. But what also happens at that point in the cycle is athletes getting paid ridiculous amounts of money. You know, this Andy Ogle 
Tree or whatever his name is, who came last at a Centurion Club in the Live Golf thing, pocketed 120 grand. He was 24 over par. Dreadful. For four rounds of golf. That's not right? sustainable. I mean, fine, he had, he had three bad days, whatever. But that's, that's essentially shooting 83 days running in a pro golf tournament and getting paid 120 grand. And I think the fans... Now, that's not going to that work, Grant. I'm giving you that. That's not going to work. Look, you, you can add Bryson to the mix, who is polarising, but a lot of people don't like him. You can add Patrick Reed to the mix, who's even more polarising, and even more people don't like him. You can chip away a few of these guys and get them onto this tour and, and hope to get some kind of critical mass. But I don't think you're going to get the Rory's. I don't think you're going to get the JT's, the Colin Morikawa's. I don't think you're going to get the people you need to make this work. Let's face it, Mickelson doesn't really move the needle, right? He's 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 his time has been and gone. DJ is seems like a genuinely nice guy, but he's not a personality, right? He's not someone who's going to create anything. He's the most laconic sportsman I think I've ever seen. Yeah. Kevin Nah, nah. Your best chance, sadly, is Patrick Reed and Bryson DeChambeau, and I think more people want to see them fail than succeed. And certainly if they go to live, or when they go to live, th there'll be more people that want to see them fail than succeed. So I think that this live thing has been an utter shambles from start to finish. I agree. And it, I suspect it will go down in flames at some point, Rog. But your point is right, and we had this discussion about the Super League, it's, it's, it's the next assault on the barricades that's probably the most important one. It'll be interesting to see where that comes from. And, and the only thing I'm trying to, the point I'm trying to make in a very roundabout way is that the PGA Tour will need to negotiate, but I think they're in a stronger position than one would suspect and they have an awful lot of cars to play that if they aren't stubborn and they do realise that, okay, we need, to, we need to get ahead of this and we need to make some concessions and we can choke off the next challenger at birth, I think they'll be able to do that. It, it remains to be seen what they have to give up. But I suspect um, this live thing, if the last three days or anything to go by, and, and look, maybe it gets better, but I, I struggle to see how, you can't sell a product that has no soul, Rog. You just can't do it. I, I, now listen, I, I agree with that. I think it's dead in the water. He's the wrong guy, the Saudi money. Um, the profile of the players, it, it's just it couldn't have been done any worse, just like the Super League couldn't be done anything any worse. All I would ask is people to not focus on the how or the who or the what, but focus on the why, as we've said for the last half hour. The why isn't going away. And it's obviously, you're right, Grant, it's much easier for the incumbent, in this case the PGA, to dictate the future. It's much easier... I sadly see most of them with heels dug in saying never on my watch. And, and you know what, the performance I saw of Jay Monaghan yesterday, last night, tends to make me believe that that is going to remain the case. So people are going to get this right, whether it's a sale GP that's got the right leader, and in this case, Sir, Ruc Sir Russell Coots, uh, who's going to, you know, uh, disrupt to the world of sailing, which is an Olympic sport, or our, our friends uh, Sam Renouf and Mike Morris uh, Moritz uh, at, at the PTO triathlon. Don't rely on it being a fuck up with the wrong people. This is going to come, and sport should get ahead of Sir Russell Coote's eating their lunch. That that's always been my view, Grant. Yeah, I, th I think I think with regards to this, we're saying the same thing, Rog. I, I, yeah, we I are. agree. Someone else is coming next. But I just think th this is this is the PGA Tours to screw up, right? They, they, they have this in the bag if they're smart about it. And Jay Monaghan could screw this up, but he shouldn't because I don't yeah. think it's complicated to see how he can repel these charges. He's got everything he needs, including the money, to repel this attack. It remains to be seen what kind of leader he is and if he realises that and makes the right kind of decisions around this because if if I was sitting there as the commissioner of the PGA Tour and I watched this live golf thing, I would be delighted with how awful it was but 100%. also very aware that this isn't the end of the challenge. Then he needs to sort out the question, what do I do with the journeyman golfers? What is their role? That's the main, if I was advising him, I would say, let's work on how that is structured. It's the same thing for football. 
that's the thing that in the past has been accepted in sport that today's world will not accept easily and sport needs to get ahead of that and and that's what he needs to focus on well time will tell rods we've had one tournament i'm not sure when the next one is uh i don't mean either every week but listen whilst you mention the 70s we can't end today without one of the great icons of the 70s phil bennett oh phil bennett yeah 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 very um, big shame. And, 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 you know, this isn't one of these, oh, this, this is another person that's died, let's give it the usual, you know, 48 hours of tributes and t- tweets and things like that. He's emblematic of what you talked about a little bit um, earlier with the traditional sport. You know, the try he started for the Babas. Barbarians, yeah. Uh, is, and it's linked to um, the anniversary of, of this this week, the bank save. Gordon Banks' save, I think, is still underrated as what I think it is is the most beautiful example yeah. of football in every way. Yeah. From I, the pass inside agree. the fullback, Jairzinho taking that one step, the beautiful cross, he leaps like a salmon, and Doesn't then he? that save. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I, I agree. And then you add it, you know, coming back to golf, you know, I remember, you remember, you know, Turnberry in the sun. You know, that... That's the 70s. You know, okay, the start of the 80s, Botham and Headingley, Borg and McEnroe start of the 80s. I just wanted to make sure people understand that that's where I come from as much as you. I just much more pragmatic as I was at the start of the show about FIFA. To save the stuff like Phil Bennett and all our memories of the 70s, we're going to have to put some sacred cows on the table. Otherwise, we're going to hand it to the live golfs of this world, Grant? Well, that, that would be criminal negligence, Rog. There's exactly. no other word for it because, uh, you know, there's an aspect of live that is all about money at a time when the age of everything being about money and appearance is dying, right? Because people can't feed their families now. The, the, the Kardashian era of look how much money I've got, look how extravagant my life is, is coming to an end. Right, if it hasn't ended already. And so I think if your solution to upend anything is to throw a load of money at it, you're making a huge mistake because I don't think anybody is going to get behind someone getting paid $4 million for winning a three-round 48-man event against largely a bunch of nobodies. That's the sort of stuff that people are going to get angry about. They're not going to, it's not a question of they're just not going to tune into it. They're going to get angry about it because, you know, it's costing them 100 quid to fill their car up with petrol. And so, you know, when you when you look at the comms, you, you made the point about comms and we haven't really spoken enough about that. The comms around this live golf have been absolutely awful. I mean, we've talked about some bad comms over the last... Uh, last few years of doing this podcast, Rog, but I don't know if you saw the talking points that were, were sent to the players. Someone leaked the memo of the talking points and how they should answer all the questions. And you, and you read those questions, you know, I'm just here to play golf and I'm not an ambassador and we should keep politics out of sport and all this nonsense, right? People saw through that immediately. And if you look at any social media post that um, anyone, Graham McDowell, you know, trying to, be the smiling face of it all, Poulter, Westwood. And Poulter and Westwood are, are guys who are loved, right, in in Britain. But the responses to to their social media posts were all the same. We all know it's about the money. Own it and move on. But we don't want you. Just just take your money and sod off, basically. <laughs> and you look at you look at Prince Harry, Rogers, the perfect example of this, right? Prince Harry was the most beloved royal in the UK. He would top every poll of everyone's favourite royals. He's gone down the woke route and he's now not welcome in Britain. You look at the comments when he was coming back for the Jubilee. The public opinion turns very, very quickly at, at points like this. And the timing, I think, of somebody like the Saudis coming in and throwing hundreds of millions, billions at golf and handing it to players in a very ostentatious way and making it about the money you know, making all the headlines about how big the purses are and how much money these players get made is a catastrophic mistake, in my view. It is. And as I said, people want to hear you about this more than me because, you know, the more I think about this and the more I hear you talk about this, this podcast for four years has really been about the fourth turning in sport that can be done in a good way 
or it can be done, as you call it, criminally negligent and handing it to the bad guys. And I don't think any of us want that. So, you know, let's get our act together and work out the, those three things under of the why and try and find a solution for them. Well, we'll see. Uh, Matey, as always, a hugely enjoyable <laughs> chat. It's a shame we don't get to do these more often, but uh, as always, it really has been it has been a lot of fun. Uh, all that remains is to thank you out there for listening to Roger and I prattle on for an hour. We're appreciative of every single one of you doing so. Um, you can follow us on Twitter if you're not doing so already. You will find us at EntertainR, that's the word A-R-E. You'll find me at T-T-M-Y-G-H. And you'll find myself at RPM Como, as in the lake. As in the lake. Rog, I hope you get a chance to take a dip in the lake, my friend. Yeah. And we'll talk again soon. Thanks, sir. Take care. Bye-bye. See you, mate.